It's great to be with you all this morning. Welcome to Restoration. My name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. And whether you're new, visiting, longtime member, watching online, uh, however you're joining us this morning, thank you all so much for giving us, us the privilege of leading you in worship and worshiping with this community. Um, we're continuing a series this morning that we've been in uh, for a couple months and we'll be in uh, through even the spring in the book of First Samuel. So we've been working basically chapter by chapter through the book. We're up to chapter 12, which is what we're going to be reading this morning. Last week, Pastor Dan walked us through chapter 11. So just a very quick summary of chapter 11. The Israelites are attacked by the Ammonites. And Dan showed us how God intervened through the newly appointed King Saul to defeat the Ammonites and save his people. Now, at the end of the chapter, the people are in quite a celebratory mood. They've had this victory. They believe that their decision to ask God for a king was the right one. They've won this great battle. Their king led them to victory. But we're going to see that in chapter 12, it wasn't quite as simple as they thought. Samuel has gathered the people together, and he's going to confront them about this decision to ask for a king other than God. And we're going to see, uh, as we walk through the story we've been doing the last few weeks, uh, we're not going to read the chapter up front. We're going to read pieces of it and make our way through it to get some answers to some questions as we go. So if you're in a pew Bible, it's on page 233. If you're on a digital or uh, have your own Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 12, and I'll start in verse 1. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I've walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me and I'll restore it to you. They said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, he is witness. Now, I don't know if you have ever been involved in an intervention before. Like a situation where you had to step into somebody's life because of their sin or some kind of destructive behavior going on in their life where you've had to step in and intervene. Well, one of the most important aspects of an intervention is that it involves trust. It's much more likely to be successful if the individual trusts the people who are going to intervene in their life. Or maybe not even something as serious as an intervention. Maybe think of a time that somebody had to tell you a hard truth. Something that you needed to hear. How did they approach you? Well, I mean, typically they come like, hey, you, you trust me, right? You know I'm on your side, right? Like, you know I've got your best interests in mind, right? When someone comes to you like that, you know that you're about to hear something that maybe you don't want to hear. When someone comes to you like that, you're much more likely to listen to them, though, if you trust them, if you do know that they 
have your best interests in mind. If they always have looked out for you, if they've always acted on your behalf in the past, you're much more likely to give a hearing to what they have to say, even if it's going to be a hard truth. Well, that's what's happening this morning at the introduction of chapter 12. Samuel has a hard truth to tell Israel. They're rejoicing, they're celebrating, they think that this decision to have a human king over them has worked out well, he's helped them defeat the Ammonites, and so everything is great, right? Well, wait just a minute, says Samuel. I've always been on your side, right? I've always been looked out for you. Have I ever taken anything from you? Have I ever oppressed anybody? Have I ever defrauded anybody? No? Okay. Well, I've got something that I need to be honest with you about. Things aren't quite the way they appear to be between you and God. There's a problem in the relationship. And in order for there to be restoration between you, I've got to be honest about the situation that you're in. You see, Samuel recognizes that Israel has forgotten how wrong it was for them to ask for a king in the first place. They're so caught up in celebrating God's provision for them that they've forgotten why they needed provision in the first place. And that was because they had forgotten who God was, that he was their king. And when Israel forgets who God is and they turn away from him and they ask for a human king in his place, their covenant relationship with God is damaged. And the same thing happens for us. We forget God. We're unfaithful to him. We turn away from him. We try to replace him in, in our lives with other kings, sometimes just with ourselves. So our question this morning is when we find ourselves in a situation like Israel, where our covenant relationship with God needs to be restored, what do we do? How do we respond? Well, we're going to walk through the rest of the chapter, and we're going to see three different answers that Samuel gives to the people and how those apply for us. We'll pick up in verse 6, where we left off. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt... And the Egyptians oppressed them. Then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. And he sold them into the hands of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord, and they said, We have sinned because we've forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said, no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. See, Samuel wants the Israelites to recognize something different happened this time. He wants, to see, he wants them to see the unfaithfulness in their asking for another king. 
So he begins with a reminder, a reminder of God's faithfulness in the past. Because if you want to see something clearly, making a contrast is a good way to do that. Sometimes my kids at home are treating one another in a mean, dishonoring way, right? So I'll say to them, how do you want someone to treat you this way? Well, how are you treating this person this way? And that contrast helps them to see clearly what they're doing wrong. And so that's what Samuel is doing here. He, he says, I'm pleading with you to see this. That's how serious he sees this moment. Israel's been unfaithful to God. And in order for them to, to recognize that, for it to click with them, he reminds them of God's faithfulness in the past. Verse 7, when they were suffering in slavery in Egypt, they cried out to God and God provided by sending Moses. Verse 9, when they were in slavery under these foreign powers because of their idolatry, they cried out and God sent prophets and judges. Over and over again in the history of Israel, they've suffered, sometimes because of the sin in the world, like their slavery in Egypt, sometimes because of their own sin, their own idolatry, when they had to go under these foreign powers. But either way, Samuel reminds them that the solution was to cry out to God and ask for deliverance and provision, and he would answer. But this time, something was different. Verse 12, this time, when the Ammonites attacked them, they didn't cry out to God, their king, for protection. Instead, they asked, give us a human king. And that is the central problem that Israel's facing now. In their moment of need, they forgot God. They forgot their history with him. They forgot his faithfulness. And so now Samuel is saying, you need to remember. This is the same thing that you and I do. How often do you forget your history with God? All the provision, all the care, God's loving heart for you. All the ways that he's provided when we've cried out to him. The commentator Dale Ralph Davis that we've quoted a lot says it this way. We needn't face an Ammonite rampage to slip into a quiet attitude of Israelite unbelief. Whenever the latest crisis comes, we quietly think, in this, he cannot provide. He has no provision for me in this. It's all very silent, private, low-key, and faithless. Where do you find yourself forgetting God? What are the moments when it's easiest for you to think that he can't or won't provide? Maybe it's the times of major suffering in your life. Loss of a job, cancer diagnosis, death of a loved one. Or maybe it's just the small moments. That stressful project deadline at work. The relationship that seems damaged that just won't heal. Your kids won't go to bed at bedtime. And rather than in that moment turning to God and resting in him and crying out to him for provision and the difficulties, 
you create your own plans and your own answers. You turn to your own kings or to yourself to provide. And you forget God and his history of committed provision for you. So how do we respond when we, our covenant relationship with God needs restoration? Well, the first thing is that we remember God's faithfulness in the past. But remembering that faithfulness in the past still leaves us with that sin in the moment to deal with. So what do we do next? Well, let's keep reading in verse 13. And now, behold the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you'll fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandments of the Lord, and if, you, and if both you and the king who reign over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the, Lord, the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. So Samuel recalled God's faithfulness in the past. Now he's reminding Israel that sin has consequences. Sin is dangerous. And in order for the people to really feel this, for this to really hit home with them, Samuel says God is going to do a major display of his power right now. He asks this odd question in verse 17. Is it not wheat harvest today? We don't know what that means, but for the Israelite, they knew that wheat harvest was between May and June. It was the beginning of the dry season. Rain was exceedingly rare. So for Samuel to call on God for a thunderstorm and for it to immediately happen would have been incredibly eye-opening for the Israelites. Like us asking for a snowstorm in St. Louis in August. God is getting Israel's attention. He's showing them through this powerful display of thunder, lightning, rain, that there is a problem he is serious about. Samuel says it in the second half of verse 17. I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the eyes of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. He's saying, look how serious sin is to God. Yes, he has provided throughout your history in times of suffering. Yes, he provided for you through this king against the Ammonites. But you still need to deal with your sin of replacing him with a human king. And if you don't deal with that, if you don't deal with that damage to your covenant relationship with God, then the results are going to be disastrous. And this is actually an amazing sign 
of mercy from God. To give them a visible reminder of how dangerous sin is and how much he hates it. He didn't destroy them like they feared. He gave them a warning. And that's the pattern of God throughout the Bible. Warning after warning after warning. He sends prophets. He sends judges. He continually pursues the heart of his people and their restoration. Even in this moment where they've forgotten who God is and they don't see or understand their own sin, God pursues them for repentance and restoration. And fortunately, in verse 19, it hits home with them. They say to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. It finally clicks with them, and they see their own sin. But God's faithful even when they aren't. God keeps his promises even when we don't. God pursues your heart for repentance and restoration even when you don't see your own sin. So what are you not seeing today? Where is there sin in your life that you need to recognize? Where do you need a thunderstorm to call you to repentance? Where's God pursuing your heart? Take a moment and think about that. If God was to use a thunderstorm to open your eyes to your sin, what would that flash of lightning reveal? I promise you that if you ask God to show you the areas of sin in your life, to show you the areas that need repentance and restoration, he will do that. So how do we respond when our covenant relationship with God needs restoration? We remember God's faithfulness in the past. We recognize our sin and we repent of it. But where does that leave us? Because you might think that the way forward then is to always be afraid of that judgment. Always looking back over my shoulder for that lightning. Because I already know that I fail in walking the path of faithfulness. I'm going to fail again. Do I always have to be scared of that judgment coming for me? Well, let's keep reading verse 20. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he's done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. The people see their sin, they repent of it, but they're afraid of God's response now. Is he going to destroy us? Is this the time where he's finally going to abandon his promises 
and his covenant to us because of our disobedience? Are we constantly going to have to live in fear of God's judgment? And what an amazing response we get from Samuel. Do not be afraid. God's people do not have to live in fear of him. Again, Dale Ralph Davis says it like this. What does God do with his people when they've committed spiritual disaster? When they've charted their own course in rebellion? What does he say to this people when they've apparently come to see how ugly their sin really is? He says, don't be afraid. See, Samuel acknowledges their sin. You have done all this evil. But sin doesn't have the last word. Yet, do not turn aside from following the Lord. Serve the Lord with all your heart. This is the paradox of grace. Yes, God's people, you and I, do evil. But in the midst of that, don't stop following and serving God. Repentance restores the relationship with God. Now continue to move forward in faith. Over and over and over again, don't turn aside to empty things. The Lord will not forsake you. He will not forsake his people. So stay faithful to him. God's heart towards you is grace. He says, stay faithful. Follow me. Don't trust in empty things. Don't turn away from me. I am faithful to you. I will not forsake you. Do you hear God's heart of grace for you? His people cast him aside for an earthly king. They trusted in their own efforts for protection. And God still says to them, don't be afraid. Don't turn aside because I never will. That is the heart of God toward each of you this morning. This reminds me of the story of the prodigal son, which, shameless plug, is the next uh, study in our Bible study here in a couple weeks. So come out on Wednesday nights to the Bible study. This reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. This son treats his father as if he's already dead. He demands his inheritance from him while he's still alive. He then goes out, he wastes the inheritance, he spends it on rebellion and sin to the point where he's broken. And he thinks, you know what? I've been totally evil. I'm just going to go back and ask my father if I can just be a servant in the house. He returns home. And where does Jesus say his father is? Jesus says his father saw his son coming from a long way off and ran to him. His father was waiting for him to come home. That is God's heart of restoration towards you. Remind yourself of that every day. Reflect on it. Read about it. Meditate on it. Rest in God's heart of restoration to you because you're going to need it. You're going to mess up again today. You're going to mess up again tomorrow. Maybe in little ways. Maybe in really big ways. You're going to either not see your sin or you're going to see it and you're going to think that was it. That was the last straw. I've done it too many times. God's done with me now. 
That was one time too many. When that happens, remember this story. Remember verse 20. Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. And yet, do not turn aside from following the Lord. So the question we asked this morning was, how do we respond when our covenant relationship with God needs restoration? We discovered three answers. That we remember God's faithfulness in the past. We return to him and repent of our sin. And we return to him and we trust him and rest in him. But this chapter also ends with a final reminder that there's actually a deeper problem. Verse 24 and verse 25 talk about serving God with our whole heart and following our king. But we're going to see throughout 1 Samuel that God's people have a heart problem and a king problem. Our hearts continue to turn away from God and our kings continue to turn away from God. And this is going to lead to disaster over and over and over again for Israel. But true to his word, God continues to remain as their faithful king. He's so faithful, in fact, that he's actually going to fix the problem. The problem of our heart and the problem of our king. God is going to come himself in the flesh as our true and greater king, Jesus. He's going to die to restore and renew our hearts. He's going to fill us with his spirit so we can walk in faithfulness. So this morning, remember his faithfulness in the past. Repent of your sin. Return to God and trust him. But look always toward the new and greater king, Jesus. Trust and rest in the work that he's done as the true king to give you a new heart. And let's walk in faithfulness together. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is the true king, that he's restored our hearts, that he lived and died for us so that we do not have to fear. Be with us through your spirit, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.